today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Many a man and woman of God, very strong, strong in their faith, has succumbed to this tool of discouragement. I think what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices, his strategies, the things that he uses. And is it not true that whenever we set our foot to do that which God has called us to, that the enemy is going to be right there? He's going to be right there. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. Discouragement can stop us in our tracks. It can keep us from doing what God has called us to do. In his message, Pastor J.D. reminds us of this. The enemy uses discouragement in our lives to create fear, to deceive us, to stop us. However, when we know these tricks and also the truth of our Heavenly Father, we can recognize the attack and move forward in God's power. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. You see, in Numbers chapter 6, we're given those numbers of the camps of the Israelites to the east, the west, the north, the south. And we have the specific numbers. And who knew? It's in the shape of a cross. And that's why he couldn't curse them. Even before a Roman cross had been invented, no curse can be pronounced because cursed, by the way, we're going to see this in Galatians 3 on Sunday, uh, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. He took the curse from us, for us, instead of us. And there is therefore now, Romans 8, 1, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You could try to curse all you want, but you can't. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. That's numbers. Here we are in Nehemiah. Here's some more typology. And it all points to the person of Jesus Christ. Every single gate. First the sheep gate. Then the fish gate. Oh, and then interesting, the old gate. This must have been an old gate. Well, this is what's really interesting. This speaks to, points to Jesus, who makes us new, new creations in Christ. Behold, old things have passed away. All things become new. And here is another one. It also speaks of Jesus fulfilling the old covenant. He fulfills the old covenant. Again, when we see this in Galatians 3, when Paul talks about the law of Moses and how these Judaizers were teaching that you had to, okay, you can get saved by faith, but you also have to keep the law. So it's like faith and works. And what Paul does, it's brilliant by the Holy Spirit. He basically says, that's impossible. Do you want to know why? And he calls Abraham to the witness stand, so to speak. 
Abraham takes the stand and testifies, uh, excuse me, um, uh, I had the covenant uh, 430 years before the law was given to Moses. And I just believed God, and it was counted unto me as righteousness. I just believed. And that's what Paul is saying. It's by faith. You believe by faith. It's not the law. The law didn't come till 430 years later. And so Abraham completely dismantles the whole argument and false teaching that they were bringing into the churches in Galatia. It's not done away with. We're going to talk about that as well. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The old covenant was fulfilled in the new covenant. Every first Sunday of the month, when we partake together of the communion table, we read out of Luke where Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant. It fulfilled the old covenant. The old covenant has not been done away with. The old covenant has been fulfilled. And the purpose of the covenant has been fulfilled. That's the old gate. The next one, the valley gate. Okay, now watch this. So you come through the sheep gate. You're saved, born again of the Spirit of God. And then you go after the the sheep gate to the fish gate. You become fishers of men. And then you go to and through the old gate. You're a new creation in Christ. And then after you're walking with the Lord, what happens? Oh, the trials hit. And that's the valley gate. And this is Jesus delivering us from the valley of the shadow of death. And through those trials in our lives, you know what else Jesus does? He gets rid of all the rubbish. This was actually a thing. You can call it what you want, but it was called the dung gate. <laughs> For those of you who go to Israel with us, we, we actually talk about these things. But there's a couple thoughts here. Jesus, this is Philippians 3.8, makes everything rubbish. The Apostle Paul says to the church of Philippi that in comparison to Christ, it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. And you could also see it as Jesus removing all of the rubbish in our lives with his imputed righteousness. Now that we've been emptied out of all of the rubbish, then comes the fountain gate. That's the Holy Spirit. Now that you've been emptied of all that rubbish, (laughs) he fills you with the Holy Spirit uh, from the fountain of life, fountain of living water to overflowing so that your lives become as torrents of living water. And then the water gate, this is the cleansing. This is the washing of water by the word of God. This is a good thing to couple together and sort of packaged together the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It's been said that, you know, some of the churches emphasize the Spirit of God, and it's all emotion and experience. And then you have some churches that are just all the Word of God. And so (laughs) it's been said that if it's all the Spirit of God, you're going to blow up. And if it's all the Word of God, you're going to dry up. You need a balance of both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And is it not the Holy Spirit of God 
that ministers the holy word of God to the holy people of God. So you see that balance. And again, it points to the person of Jesus Christ. And the, the word is a uh, likened unto water. Water is a type of the word. And what do we know to be true about John 1? In the beginning was the word. Uh, if you're a Jehovah Witness, they rewrote that. I'll never forget. I don't know why I just thought of this now. I must have been really traumatized by it. Got into a, this is on the mainland again. I was doing a Bible study in this business community. And uh, it was called a business Bible study, but we were going through, I forget which book it was at the time, but I made a reference to John, and this one guy had invited this businessman who was a Jehovah Witness, not just any Jehovah Witness. This guy was a staunch Jehovah Witness. And he brought his, do you know, I hope you know this, that the Jehovah Witnesses have a different Bible than you have. Okay, that they rewrote John 1. So it doesn't say in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. It says the Word was a God. Oh, well that kind of changes the complexion of it. So in the middle of the Bible study, and I think for those of you who know me, I don't do very well when somebody interrupts me, because first of all, I get very easily distracted. I don't even need help with somebody interrupting me, and I lose my place like I just did. But in the middle of my teaching, he got furious. He says, this is heretical. This is incorrect. And he starts pointing in his Bible, John 1. I said, you know, look, let's talk after. And he didn't want to wait, apparently, till after. I was going to take him outside, man. I, no. Um, but anyway, he didn't. <laughs> I wish I knew Artie back then. But anyway, so uh, so uh, that's, that wasn't very nice, was it? So anyway, so he didn't want to wait till afterwards so we could discuss it. He just ended up getting uh, mad and storming out. And so... That was the end of that. So the next gate is the horse gate. Again, notice the progression here. The horse gate speaks to Jesus riding a white horse in the final battle. This is Revelation 19, 14. And when he comes, that's the east gate. This is where he will enter Jerusalem through the east gate. When you're on the Mount of Olives again, for those of you who go to Israel with us, you can see that east gate, and it's all, all plugged up. It's all filled in. Isn't that interesting? That's Zechariah 14, verse 4. Pardon me. And then lastly is the Mifgad gate. And this is speaking of the judgment seat. Now, again, you see the progression of it, the second coming, the Bema seat of Christ. Don't think of this as a judgment to punish, but a judge to reward. Like in the Olympic Games, where you have a panel of judges, and they give you your reward. That's what the Bema seat of Christ is going to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. All right. Well, let's get into chapter 4. I just want to forewarn you that it's going to take a turn for the worse here. So, verse 1. I mean, picture the scene. What a sense of accomplishment. Look at what we've done in this work. And by the way, this only, this didn't take very long. Don't, don't think that this was drug out over a period of several months. You know, we're going in to a year like, you know, it took that long for us to do this building. No, this is a matter of days. They did all this work, highly organized, very blessed of God under Nehemiah's great leadership. And so imagine the sense of accomplishment. I mean, they're just rejoicing, praising the Lord. 
I mean, thank you, Lord. Look at what we have done for the Lord in the rebuilding of the wall with the gates. What? And we've completed them. What a sense of accomplishment. I mean, you just want to, you want it to end there, you know, and they lived happily ever after. Amen. Let's close in prayer. But it doesn't. We have a verse one in a Nehemiah four, which says, but it so happened when Sanballat, remember him? We were introduced to him last week, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And verse two, he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Well, not exactly a day, but pretty close. Will they receive stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And they were. Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Oh, really? Oh, all that hard work for nothing. Oh, what are we going to do now? Can you imagine? What a killjoy. What a, I mean, what a... (laughs) So, I mean... (laughs) And they're mocking them and ridiculing them. And, oh, by the way, let me say that the fact that they say what they say and do this and mock them and ridicule them, it means that they know that it's true. Because if it were not true, if it was true that it's not going to hold up and they're not going to be able to build it. It's going to be so flimsy anyway. And this is a joke. What do you guys think you're going to do? You think you're actually going to do this? You're not going to do this. What do you think you're going to do it in a day? It's not going to, you're not going to get it done. The very fact that they would say that means that they knew in their heart, they're going to get this done. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so angry. They would have said, this is a joke. They'll see. Don't even bother. The fact that they would come and start mocking them is the very thing that tells us that they knew that this was true. Now, why do I point that out? Because is that not what the enemy does with us? He's a mocker. He's the accuser of the brethren. And the false accuser, everything they say here is false. Everything they say here is a lie. And what is Satan? He's the father of lies. He fathers lies. This is not true. You know, one of the most powerful devices of the devil in the life of a Christian, this, I believe, is the most powerful tool in his arsenal. And it's the tool of discouragement. And many a man and woman of God, very strong, strong in their faith, has succumbed to this tool of discouragement. I think what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices, his strategies, the things that he uses 
And is it not true that whenever we set our foot to do that which God has called us to, that the enemy is going to be right there? He's going to be right there. And he's going to start flapping his mouth, saying things like, what do you, what do you think you're doing? And we were talking about men rising up and women serving and doing the work of the Lord. Well, isn't it interesting that whenever a man or a woman steps up and seeks to do that which God has called them to, the enemy is right there with the, almost, you could almost say it's uh, verbatim. What do you think you're doing? You think you're going to actually do that? Who do you think you are? I mean, it's just, and Satan does not, cannot read our mind, but he has access to our mind. And he plants those seeds, and if it's met with the supple soil of our mind, and we entertain those thoughts, we don't take those thoughts captive, man, he's got us. He's got us. And I'll confess to you that there have been many times where Satan has used this tool of discouragement successfully in my life. What do you think you're doing? I'll never forget, as soon as we bought this, this property... We we walked in, and I I feel for the Jews when we're going to see here in a moment. They just were so overwhelmed. I mean, the rubbish piles are so high, Nehemiah. And the people are just weary, and they're discouraged, and they're they're fainting at heart, and they're becoming weary. And I'll never forget when we first, right after we had bought the building, and I came in on this one particular day, and Satan was right there. In fact, he opened the front door for me to let me in. Apparently he had the key. I didn't realize that, but anyway, so I I come in, and he's right there going, this is a joke. What do you think, you you actually think you're going to turn this pile of rubbish into a church? And here, here, here am I, this great man of faith, right? I want you to think I'm this great man of faith. I'm going, yeah, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? What have I done? What have I done to God's people? What was I thinking? This, we could, there's, there, and then, anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, you could basically, it's like a track. Everything that we're going to read here, I went through and lived and survived and um, have the scars to prove it. Verse 4, now watch this. Now, They've just come. Now, what's Nehemiah's response? Oh, yeah? No. What does he do? Hear, oh, our God. I love that. Can I maybe just kind of suggest that it was one of these things on Nehemiah's part of, oh, God, did you hear what they just said? Not that God didn't. You know, can, can you imagine if God was in heaven going, no, I didn't. What, what did they say? When was this? What, what happened? What did they say? No, he heard. But Nehemiah's going, God, did you just hear? Do you hear what they, reminds me of David on the battlefield with that uncircumcised Philistine. He only had to hear it once. He only had to hear him blaspheme the name of his God once. And Saul and the entire army, including David's older brothers, were hearing it day and night, all day, all night, for 40 days and 40 nights. And David heard it one time. And I can imagine David there on the battlefield saying to the Lord, his God, did you hear? Did you hear that, O God? For we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads. I love this guy. 
I love this guy. And give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. And do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Notice, this is not about Nehemiah. That's what David said to Goliath, by the way. Oh, Goliath, you know, he's talking smack. I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to feed it to the birds, and I'm going to have you for lunch and the leftovers for a snack after lunch before dinner. And what does David say? This is a very loose paraphrase, obviously, but he just basically says, Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry, you uncircumcised Philistine. There's been a huge misunderstanding here. You think that your battle is against me? No. This is between you and God the God you blaspheme. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. This isn't about me. God, do you hear what they're saying about you? They're provoking you. They're blaspheming you. You called us to do this. Uh, What's Nehemiah doing? He's basically saying, God, would you you take care of these guys? Because I'm busy over here. I got a wall to build. I'm going to do it in 52 days, by the way. by the grace of God, because God's going to miraculously and supernaturally enable me to. This is what we should do, isn't it? Every time the enemy attacks, our first response should be to pray. And I think that instead of the last resort, which oftentimes it is, the worst thing we can do is engage. The best thing we can do is to engage God. Say, God, The battle belongs to you. And conspicuously absent from the narrative is any mention of Nehemiah ever even responding to these guys. He will eventually, necessarily, but here he doesn't even answer them. Reminds me of what Proverbs 24 says, Do not answer a fool, and they are certainly fools. Do not answer a fool according to their folly. Verse 6, so we built the wall. I love that. I love that. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, halfway there. And I love this. I love this. I love this. For the people had a mind to work. This is every pastor's dream. To have the people have a mind, one mind, be of one mind and one accord to do the work. I will suggest that I know that there was a supernatural component in building the wall in 52 days miraculously, but I also believe that you can attribute it to this very thing right here. The people were of one mind. They were united. They were of one mind, and they had a mind to work. And again, this is what... We should do. We should do what Nehemiah does. We should always do this after we pray. You know what that is? Get back up and get back to work. Thanks for tuning in to Pastor J.D.'s teaching in the book of Nehemiah today. Here at In Spirit and Truth, we strive to bring God's Word to you in a way that blesses your life, but also challenges you to make a difference in this world. Nehemiah was a man who made a great impact, even though he wasn't serving as a priest or spiritual guide of any kind. God still used him and still uses ordinary people today. If you'd like to listen again to today's message, you'll find it at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Just click on listen. 
Having access to messages from God's Word adds some great encouragement to the pauses in your day and helps to keep you focused on Him. We'd also like to tell you more about the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. discusses current events and their prophetic importance each Friday and Saturday. Here to tell you more about this is Pastor J.D. Thanks, Josh. Followers of Jesus Christ have this anticipating of his soon return at the rapture of the church, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. I'm of the belief that we are seeing key Bible prophecies beginning to come to pass in real time. And it's for this reason that we do these weekly prophecy updates as we look up and lift up our heads, knowing our redemption draws ever so near. This is what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28. Our hope here at In Spirit and Truth is that believers will be ready and non-believers will get ready by coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ while there's still time. Thanks, Pastor J.D. That's all we have for today, but join us again right here on In Spirit and Truth. Dude.